This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 476. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined by co-host, company president, founder of many things that are awesome and some that are less so, Jacob Paulson. Thank you, Riley. Hey, we are glad to be with you all today for uh, our second episode recorded today on this Wednesday, uh, January 27th, um, episode 476. We're going to talk about four trigger types and maybe how to choose the one for you, whatever that is. I don't know. Uh, so we'll, we'll get into what that is and what those four trigger types are, uh, and it's going to be a great episode. All right. Some things to consider, and a lot of it, I think, is just going to give us an opportunity to talk about what we some what some of the things are that we think are important uh, with regards to the trigger that is on your your gun, particularly a defensive gun. Um, today's episode sponsored and brought to you by Ready Up Gear and the new Ready Up Gear Roger Twenty Two Ear Pro. Okay, the earmuffs. Jacob's got the brand spanking new ones there with the new logo on them and everything look at that ready up gear roger 22 mine these are mine's are actually like a prototype version and um uh also we have in stock so these these were out of stock as of like black friday because uh, we ran a pretty good sale on them on black friday and they, they flew off the shelves but we've got these back in stock now and along with those we have these new ready up gear soft seal gel ear pads and these are the perfect upgrade for your stand for for the for the roger 22s if you want to do them uh i highly recommend it these mean that i can wear my ear pro all day at the range and not be uncomfortable but not only do we have the soft seal gel ear pads for the roger 22s from ready up gear we also have them that fit let's see we've got them for so the Pelter 3M brand earmuffs, okay? We've got them for um, walkers as well. And then we've got the Roger 22s and that, that also happen to be the same. They're the same size dimensionally and everything as the uh, Howard Light uh, earmuffs that are pretty popular as well. So, you know, we just did a little bit of market research and the three most popular ear pro, you know, over the ear uh, earring, hearing protection and so 3M Peltor, Roger, these new Roger 22s, Howard Lights, and Walkers, all three of those are options available in the Ready Up Gear store now. So head on over to readyupgear.com. Check out the uh, the new electronic hearing protection Roger 22s and outfit them with these sweet gel ear pads that we call the Soft Seals. It's one of those things you never go back on. You know, mm -hmm. Once once you have the soft seal, once you have those gel ear pads, never again. You'll never wear anything ever else ever again. Pretty much. For over the year, absolutely. You know, as much time as I've spent on a range, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, 
once you go there, you will not go back. That is absolutely true. Well, let's get into today's topic. Um, so four trigger types and how do we choose the right, right one for you? Whatever that is. And what, what do we mean by four trigger types, four, four main trigger types that are out there, Jacob? So we're talking about the, the mechanics of how it functions. So one that I'll start with that's probably you know, been around for a long time that people are familiar with is a single action only. So single action only simply meaning that this is a, a you know, gun that's designed such that uh, it probably has a relatively light trigger. Uh, it's, you know, think like 1911. 1911 is like the classic single action only uh, you know, gun. And so, you know, the, the hammer is either being set manually or it's being set by the slide as it cycles each time. And that leaves you with a very short, light tr- you know, trigger press. It is, it is that beautiful, wonderful, delightful trigger experience. Yeah, I mean, the, the gold standard in like good triggers is your classic 1911 trigger. Uh, rather than it being a pivoting design, it, it, it goes straight forward or straight back and then of course straight back forward again. Um, is a, it's, it's got a double kind of wishbone shape to it. The, the trigger bow as it's called is it wraps around the, the mag well on both sides. And so, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it's such a great trigger because you press it and it goes straight back. Uh, there's none of this pivoting action and it equally moves the sear together on both sides of that trigger bow, as opposed to a lot of common, you know, modern designs, you press a trigger and it pivots and there's, there's extra friction that's created because, um, you have a single trigger bar that runs on one side of the gun typically. And as you're pressing that, it, it, it actually creates like a torque, um, in that whole mechanism. And so, Anyway, I don't mean to get off into. I can get into the nuts and bolts and weeds of of the finer things of triggers and trigger design, but you just talked about single action triggers or like a 1911 trigger. That's the most common one we see. There are other firearms like uh, uh, um, CZs. You know, there's there's a few models of different CZ pistols, uh, and uh, uh, also some revolvers, obviously, too, right? Where you've got to cock the hammer and, you know, like an old Colt C- single action army type pis- uh, uh, revolver as well. So single action only trigger um, typically means very nice trigger, light trigger. Um, yeah. Are there any downsides to a trigger like that, Jacob? Well, I think there's certainly considerations or best practices and maybe that equates to a downside, but traditionally with the single action only trigger, you're either carrying with the, with the hammer in a forward position. So to deploy the gun, you have to cock the hammer or you're carrying with the safety on, which is probably the more common methodology. So you have to train to you know, operate that safety because, and, and this is for obvious reasons, right? The single action only the, that, that wonderful, beautiful, crisp, short, light trigger is wonderful, but it also uh, is a potential safety concern. And so that's why we generally see people carry that either with hammer forward. Uh, so I got to cock the hammer before I fire or with uh, some sort of you know safety on uh, configuration. So now I have to train myself to uh, disengage the safety when I deploy the gun and then re-engage the safety when I holster the gun. 
I don't really know many people that are carrying it with hammer forward or hammer down. That would seem ridiculous, but I thought I'd mention it. Okay. All right. It's an option. It's an option. I would consider it better than carrying it with hammer cocked and no safety. I I suppose there's people that are carrying non-chambered and are planning on drawing and racking the slide, and that would obviously cock the hammer, and then they'd they'd fire their gun. Um, We've hashed that type of topic before and and certainly you and I are proponents uh, in concept and theory of yeah carry with your gun ready to be used implying that it's chambered it's ready to go the big thing for me that I see is is the safety piece right so the standard practice with a lot of single action uh, particularly sing, single action pistols is that you'll have a manual safety uh, I there was a time where that bothered me, you know, like the idea that, oh man, I've got to hit a safety as I draw and as I go to shoot my gun. I would say it bothers me less so now. Um, and really what it comes down to is no matter what tool or gun it is that you're carrying, you should be well-versed in the operation of that gun. And it should be second nature. It should be so well-practiced that regardless of how it functions, it, it, you you are able to manipulate that firearm uh, essentially automatically, subconsciously. So, um, you know, if you're using a gun with a safety, a manual safety that requires deactivation prior to you uh, pressing the trigger, uh, then yeah, you should be aware of that, and you better darn well make sure you know how to operate it on a subconscious level. You shouldn't have to think about it. It's kind of like I don't I don't really carry a a handgun with a safety on it, but I'm very well versed in running a carbine rifle, an AR-15 type yeah, platform this, rifle. This was the metaphor I was going to use as well. Yeah. And, and I don't even have to think about, you know, the safety on safety off aspect of that. When the gun's going into use, meaning coming up into my shoulder, going up on target, safety goes off, right? When it comes off target, safety back on. So it's as simple as that. And, and if you just simply practice, it'll become second nature. And that's what we want to see. Um, I'd, I'd say that we're seeing a little more of a trend right now of people carrying single action pistols uh, in a different way than what you might think. So, you know, the, the, the classic example is the 1911 that quite a few people these days still do carry. Um but we're seeing more and more pistols coming out that are of a double stack variety, single action trigger, 1911 type design, often referred to as a 2011. Um, for instance, the Wilson Combat EDCX9, a really, really cool pistol. It's been out for a couple years now, and it's essentially a 1911 design, but it's double stack. It's a proprietary uh, double stack magazine design, but the, the, the guts of the gun and the top end of the gun are basically a 1911. Um, that's a single action only. And also uh, staccato 2011 pistols uh, becoming more and more. I'm seeing more and more examples of those. Uh, so that's why, you know, it's relevant to today's discussion. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, I'm, having some conversations with the folks at Staccato about, about those guns and, and you know, who knows, you might see one in my hands. <laughs> so one thing that I think is worth clarifying is the difference between a single action only revolver and a single action mm-hmm. only semi-automatic. Cause that's also a distinct, like different, Absolutely. different like list of potential considerations or best practices because a single action 
semi-automatic, single action only, semi-automatic, like a 1911. Um, it, the, the cycling of the slide recocks the hammer each time, right? So I, I'm still just operating the trigger. But the single action only revolver, the you actually you manually have to cock the hammer every time. And so I think that that's just worth you know saying out loud. If you're like, oh, single action sounds like it's for me, bear in mind that there, there's a distinct difference between the way you operate a single action only revolver and a single action only semi-automatic. Of course. I don't really see many people uh, carrying single actions. Well, they basically don't even make um, them anymore. I think I think you'd have a sure hard time buying one. They are rare. They 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 are definitely way towards the bottom of the list of, of common uh, firearms that are purchased and carried. And the ones that are made um, are designed to make look to, to look like they were made a hundred years ago. It seems like like when I see them for sale, I'm like hmm. You, oh, yeah. when, when you made that, you wanted me to buy it and say, I now feel and look like John Wayne for sure. Well, some modern examples actually, though, would be like your Bond Arms, double barrel, Derringer type, um, mm-hmm. you know, guns. And uh, which, uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of those, to be to be honest with you. But some people like them and some people like them in, a, in the context of like a backup gun. Um, I, I look at that kind of thing and I go, why? When I can have a Ruger LCP or something that's smaller and even lighter weight that can serve the purpose of a backup gun that has three or four times the capacity, <laughs> you know? So anyway, um, but yeah, relevant to the discussion, talking about different trigger types, considerations for those triggers, what you, you know, what might be important to you to, to consider. Um, I would say this much regarding, again, more of the 1911-2011 design, uh, single action, semi-automatic, um, with, with a manual or, or active safety that you've got to act, turn on and turn off. Um, the thing is, with guns like those, with, you know, one of the, the appeals of, of a gun like that is, be, is the trigger, and because of how nice it is and how much easier it is, to shoot well and shoot accurately uh, because you don't have all this take up and the trigger is lighter and it's just easier to use. But you have to flip that around a little bit and look at it from the aspect of, well, you know, how well trained are you and how good is your trigger finger discipline? Uh, because it's, it would be, particularly if you are transitioning over from something that's got a lot longer or stiffer trigger press uh, or stroke, moving over to a light, short, single action trigger on like what is found on a lot of 1911s and 2011s um, might lend to you letting shots go a little bit early when before you're really, truly ready to send that shot. Uh, and, and, and there's certainly been examples of but this has happened with all kinds of different triggers and, and designs of guns. Um, but the fact is we want to be careful. And if there's opportunities to reduce the likelihood of a, uh, a negligent discharge or an inadvertent discharge, as we are faced with, with some kind of stressful situation, the gun's already out, but it's not necessarily being used as in fired. Just be mindful of that. Okay. Your, your trigger finger discipline has to be absolutely on point uh, as far as, not pressing the trigger and not being on the trigger when it shouldn't be on the trigger. 
right? And then, of course, that back to the whole discussion about the manual safety and, and just that being switched on and off automatically. So uh, ideally, if you if the gun came out of the holster and you're going on target, the safety can come off. But if the situation changed, but you felt like, I don't want to put my gun away yet, safety should probably go back on, you know, meaning the gun comes off target, safety on. If we have to go back on target, you know, should be pretty straightforward to put the safety uh, or turn the safety back off. So anyway, just uh, some considerations with single action, uh, particularly semi-automatic pistol designs. Just know that there there is a little bit of more uh, training or learning curve to, I think, carrying and using a pistol like that responsibly in, in stressful self-defense situations. Yeah, well, I guess my last thought on single action only is if you've never shot one before, you're in for a treat. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to really enjoy it. I mean, sure, sure is a pleasure to shoot. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, let's see. Let's move on to uh, another trigger type. So, um, and, and I, you start with the single action one. Well, that was found originally, uh, you know, as we've talked about the 1911s, um, that, at least that particular design cycles back over 100 years. So almost, in fact, 20, it's 2021, so 110 years ago. How about that? Uh, let's work our way forward, I guess. So uh, by that, I mean, let's take a look at a, well, I don't know, let's talk about double action only. All right. Double action only. Yeah. Double action. So I got to ask before we go any further, do you own a double action only gun? I have to think about that a moment. I do. I own one. I, I know I used to. So I, 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 one time I owned, um, an original, you know, LCP, which is double action only. I have since now I have the, the LCP two, which is not double action. It's actually an internal hammer hammer. Um, it functions more like a single action, although the trigger feels like a striker fire trigger. Um, I have a revolver that if I was using in a defensive context would be shot as though it's a double action only. I don't know that I have any other guns that are actual true double action only uh, actions at this current time. I have a Kiltec um, P11 or P9. I think it's a P11. I never shoot it. So anyway, that's my double action only gun. So double action only. So we have double action only semi-automatics and revolvers again. So double action only. The 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 travel of the trigger is in a really crude way, and Riley will correct everything I say wrong here anyway, but but in a very crude way, the the travel of the trigger is actuating the hammer or the function of the hammer to the rear and releasing it forward all in the same single trigger squeeze. So what we generally find with double action triggers, they tend to be heavy. And they tend to have a lot of travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a general rule, uh, I agree with all that. Yes, um, not all are created equal and there's certainly better ones and worse ones in terms of the quality of the trigger press. Now, going back to the single action thing, single actions are typically known for short travel, crisp break, uh, and light, right? Double action only is generally known as being long travel, heavy, and not crisp, right? Um, and so so th- these are really kind of on the opposite ends of the spectrum, 
right? If you spent all your time only shooting a 1911 and then moved over to a really crappy long, like, okay. So honestly, the Caltech P11 trigger, like what you have, Jacob, Pretty is horrible. not pleasant to shoot. No, <laughs> <laughs> it just, it just isn't. It just sucks. Yeah. I, you don't want to shoot that gun for like ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, conversely, a, a more modern example would be uh, the Sig Sauer P250, the precursor to the 320. And I owned one for a brief time. I, I just, you know, kind of a deal that fell in my lap and and uh, picked one up and, and played with it for a few months until I got bored with it. Um and it's a it's a da a dao style gun, uh, long travel, fairly heavy. Although some things can be done aftermarket to lighten some of the springs and make it a little bit nicer. But I will say this much: the P two fifty trigger is fairly smooth. And and so here's the thing: I will take heavy and smooth over a little less heavy and really crunchy, or 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 you know, with lots of, uh, uh, what's the word? There's another word I'm missing to describe, uh, things like this. Crunchy is pretty good. Yeah. You see, the, the thing is when you have a trigger that has a lot of travel and along all that travel, there's like this, these little hiccups, you're like, eh, 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 you know, just, you keep kind of hitting these little, these ro- these little like potholes, if you will, in the road as you're pressing the trigger. And that makes it really difficult to shoot. You Not know? fun. And, and it's more it makes it more difficult to so so the idea with a DAO pistol, like from a from a application standpoint, is you wanna be using a ideally like a rolling break. So the idea is you just start pressing the trigger and you just keep rolling through that trigger. And if you got to refine things a little bit more before you get to the actual break, you might pause a little bit as you get close to that break point. But ideally, you're just kind of rolling through that trigger. You know, just, just these long presses, and you're not really staging the trigger, and you're not looking for a wall or a crisp break point. You're just rolling through the trigger. So it makes it very difficult to roll through that trigger smoothly and keep sights and everything lined up on target if you have crunch in the trigger. So you want smooth. Again, I would take, I would almost take a 12 pound, but very smooth trigger over, and, and I would say this much too, very even if possible. See, there's a difference. Sometimes you'll have double action triggers that like are really heavily loaded at the front or really heavily stacked at the front part of the trigger and you get towards the back and then it sort of like falls off. Sometimes getting through that initial stacking of that can be pretty challenging. I'd almost rather just have it just be even and smooth all the way through. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that's that's all very good. Like um, I was thinking about uh, Diamondbacks. I don't own a Diamondback. But a lot of those smaller Diamondback guns, if I may, for all I know, all Diamondbacks are DAO, DAO. I really don't know. Oh, and by the way, for those, I don't know if you said it, Riley, but DAO, double action only, that's what we're talking about, mm-hmm. just uh, your shorthand there. Yep, yep. Um, but the Diamondbacks, uh, for me, are similar in many ways to the Caltech P11 in size and application, but they are smoother on the trigger for me. Not not super amazingly smooth, not P250 smooth, but um, significantly improved over that P11. So, so double action only, I think, I think the takeaway, I I don't, I don't think of double action only DAO guns being 
really awesome for defensive purposes, like ever. Like I, I, I have a hard time thinking of good context for that because accuracy is going to be more difficult. Um, some better than others, to your point, but I think you're going to have a harder time being accurate with that gun. Um, and, and and just the overall deployment can be really challenging. And, and uh, we find especially a lot of newer shooters, uh, you know, sometimes they gravitate to those guns because a lot of times these DAO guns are very small, very compact, um, they're, you know, micro compact guns. They look very appealing. They're, you know, it's like, oh, this is going to be perfect. It's going to fit in my whatever small thingy I'm putting this in. And so we see a lot of newer gun owners that sometimes, you know, for lack of a better term, accidentally end up with a DAO little micro compact and it is a disaster. Um, it's just, it, you know, you, you're stock, stacking the odds against your, yourself to, to shoot well. And, uh, ooh, I like that. That was like a pun. Get it? <laughs> stacking? Ooh, I, I didn't even know I was doing it. So anyway, yeah. One, one thing I will say, uh, we say, we say DAO, D- double action only. And in the case of semi-automatic, double action only, that's kind of what you're getting. But double action revolvers, uh, like you said, you have a double action revolver. That tends to be a gun that you optionally can shoot double action or you can shoot single action. You can you know, cock the hammer and then you have a single action trigger press. So it's just worth noting that that uh, difference. Yeah. Um, by the way, Ghost Tactical commenting on YouTube says gritty, <laughs> which was which was the other word I was looking for. Crunchy, gritty. Yeah, you know, yeah. Good stuff. Thanks for having my back, uh, Ghost Tactical. Um, yeah, so as I have become a more experienced shooter, I've gotten to a place where and everybody obviously has their preferences because I definitely know experienced shooters that prefer things different than, than what I prefer. Sure. But I'm to a place now where I prefer a trigger that feels or operates more like what you'd find with a it was like that allows me to use kind of that rolling uh trigger break technique um where i'm just you know the trigger just breaks really smoothly when you get towards the rear of the travel but there's take up and it's just smooth and fairly light all the way through that so my current competition pistol I've got a gray guns trigger in that that's been worked over and it's pretty light. It's like two and three quarters pound uh, or two and three quarter pounds, whatever. I don't know. And, uh, um, but there's not, there's, there's definitely a wall, but from that wall to where it actually breaks, there's, there's a, you know, there's a bit of travel, but that travel is smooth and fairly light. And there's not like a super defined, you know, like wall, right? Right before it breaks. It's just, you hit the wall, the initial wall, and you just press through that. And if you've ever felt a really well broken in or a really nicely worked over uh, uh, Smith and Wesson revolver, you know that has a really nice double action. Even though it's long, maybe it's a long but six pounds or seven pounds, which is fairly light for a long double action um, revolver trigger. It, if you've ever felt one of those, and you you just start taking it up, and it and it's it's light enough. It's not super, it's not really tiring. It doesn't tire you out after you shoot a bunch of rounds. Um, and it's just smooth and, and even all the way through that. Like that honestly is really, really easy for me to shoot with now. And so I've come to find that I prefer that as opposed to a trigger that has a really defined break point because for me personally, and it might just be how my brain works, 
but when I have a trigger that has a really defined break, uh, I tend to have more issues with shanking shots, you know, getting the classic down and left sort of anticipation where, you know, you, you, you get to that break point to that really defined wall and you're like, oh, there's my sight, send it. And you just, you, you twitch a little bit as you break through that. You know, like people will describe a really amazing light trigger as as like a desirable trait they would or a term they would use to describe that this desirable trait would be like a a glass rod breaking, if that makes sense. Like a, a thin glass rod, and you want to be able to press that, and it resists, but then all of a sudden it goes snap. Um, I shank more shots with triggers like that. So. At one time, I just shank shots. That's funny. Shank shots, yeah, or or flinch or whatever you want to call it. Um, I find that I'm I'm more able to manage my sight picture and keep everything dialed in and lined up all the way through the shot going off. If if there's no well defined wall or break, I'm just I'm just pressing. So as I'm managing the sights, I'm just press, press, bang, press, press, bang, you know, and it just, it works really well for me. So the DAO trigger that we're talking about right now, this type anyway, if they're really heavy, they can be tiring to shoot for a lot of shots. If they're gritty or crunchy, they're difficult to shoot for obvious reasons. But in this day and age, especially, and this has been true for a long time, but there's great companies out there. I mean, if you have a Breda, send it off to Langdon Tactical and get that sucker worked over. If you have a CZ, send it to Cajun Gunworks and have them work it over. If you have a SIG, uh, send it off to Grey Guns and get that thing worked over. Um, you know, there's a lot of work that can be done to smooth those double action triggers out. And and it, that like that's the key to me is if you can lighten it a little bit, if you can get it in that six to eight pound range and have it be smooth all the way through the travel, I have no problem shooting a DAO gun if, 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 if it is smooth and lighter than is typical for double action pistols. Yeah. I, I was just looking to see, I know we have had past episodes where we've talked about the arguments for and against, you know, trigger modifications. Mm-hmm. So uh, we don't need to get into it here, but I did look up episode 298 is probably a good one. If anyone's like, Ooh, what would Jacob and Riley actually, I don't know if I'm in that one. I think it's you and Matthew, but, but what, you know, what would we say about, the, the good and the bad of getting your trigger modified. You just made a potential you know argument in favor of modifying a double action trigger. But episode 298, we talk more about that topic. Absolutely. You know, the funny thing too, Jacob, is that for years and years and years, cops and experienced gun carriers have been uh, improving triggers on like older uh, revolvers, double action revolvers in particular. And like people didn't get all worked up about modifying old revolvers. But as soon as you start talking about modifying triggers on a more modern striker fired pistol, people like lose their, lose their crap. (laughs) At least that's, that's the impression I get. I've got a stack of old gun magazines that I've, you know, gone through in years past. Uh, some of these I inherited from my grandpa that passed away a couple years back. And, and, and there's articles in there from like the seventies and eighties of, you know, talking about improving your double action revolver trigger and stuff. And people weren't, you know, freaking out about you getting thrown in, in, in jail over, you know, shooting a dude, but you had a modified trigger and whatnot. Anyway, 
Well, and I think it's all, there's a lot of context specific things. And so, you know, just like when we were talking about carrying with the safety and having it safety on, that was very context specific to a single action on the gun. And this also, you know, we're talking right now about modifying a trigger and we're in this context talking specifically about a double action only gun. Sure. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. And again, we don't have to go all the way into, into the weeds on this one. I did want to bring up this quick comment from John on Facebook. Uh, this is actually a fair point to note because we talked about single action pistols and triggers and he says, getting back to safeties, he has a Smith & Wesson Shield 9mm 2.0 with a safety. And he says, carrying with safety on is almost impossible to get it off because of the design. I don't carry with safety on. I'll say this much. I think the safety on the shield is more easily manipulated than the safety on the P365s, on the safety-equipped uh, models. Um and I don't think the 365s are are absolutely horrible in that respect because I think they're relatively usable. But this would be this is I think a fair point to bring up. If you're going to carry a gun with a safety, make sure the design of that safety is usable because there are definitely some out there that are so low profile or lacking in texture or whatever that it's more difficult for you to consistently manipulate them. So yeah, like that, like a nine, three, eight or two, three, eight, those are designs that I struggle with. Uh, yeah. With that safety. Some of those really small cars or Keltex, you know, that are 1911 yeah. designs. Those, those like, for me, I don't have an issue, you know, disengaging that safety in the deployment of a full size gun, but some of those you know, micro compacts, that's that safety is pretty hard for me to operate in, you know, in that, in that condition. Yep. Yep. So anyway, good, good, good point and a good observation, John. And I'm glad you recognize that. Hmm. This is a, this is a problem. You know, and the thing I would throw out too for for your sake, John, is he's saying, "Hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna carry it with the safety on because it's hard for me to disengage." A, a caution with that. You should probably still train to sweep your thumb down as you're drawing that gun even if you don't have the safety already on and that safe in that pistol, by the way, is completely safe to carry without the safety on. It's, that's not the issue. But my concern is what if that safety gets somehow gets bumped on or switched on while you're carrying the gun. Okay. Uh, particularly if it's like an ambidextrous safety and the safety is on the outside of the gun. See, it's one thing if it's on one side, right. And the holster is designed to cover that safety and, and keep it from being an issue. But regardless, if that safety got inadvertently switched on somehow and your normal mode of carrying and practice is safety off already, you go to draw and use the gun and, and you, you, you're not training, you're not practicing to make sure that safety's off. Um, so that, that could get you in trouble where you're pressing the trigger and not getting any bang, not getting any pews. Because the safety's on and you're not expecting it to be on. So just just some, some things to maybe think through there. And if you have the option of switching the gun around uh, with a different one, non-safety model or whatever, you know, or maybe, who knows, maybe there's an aftermarket part that replaces that safety uh, with something that's a little more usable for you. I don't know. Give it some thought and make sure that uh, you don't set yourself up for uh, for failure. Or as Mark says, just buy a Glock. Well, we haven't gotten striker-fired uh, triggers yet, so hang on. Um, all right. I think before striker fire, the natural progression here is the DASA gun. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, a little a little before a striker fired, right? So DASA, double action, single action. And it was popularized particularly with the uh, classic line pistols from SIG, the P, the original P-series guns, 226, 229, 220, right? Um, so double action, single action. Jacob, you've got a, a couple of those. I've got, a, I've got a couple myself. I only have one. Oh, I thought you had two. I'm thinking. I'm pretty sure I only have the one. You got a 229. I know that much. Yeah, the, the yeah my 229, which I love that gun. A uh, huge fan. I've had. I I would put that on my list of guns that I consider battle tested. Like I put it through some some good stuff. Um, so that not like in battle. By the way, I, I've never been in battle, battle tested. But you know, when I say battle tested, like with asterisk, meaning like I've shot it a lot under stress. <clears throat> anyway, so. Uh, DASA. So the yeah, my two two nine is a great example. So this is a gun where um, basically the, the premise of the DASA gun is that the first trigger press is going to be a double action trigger press, and then subsequent shots would be single action. Uh, the the thinking here would be that you do carry a DASA gun uh, in the hammer forward position, and so that first trigger squeeze you have a double action trigger because you have to actuate the hammer to the rear with that long traditional double action trigger squeeze, whatever that might be for that particular make and model. But then the cycling of the slide is recocking your hammer to make every subsequent follow-up shot single action. Thus the DASA double action, single action uh, verbiage, vernacular, whatever. So a lot lot of people like this Um, for one. and, And I'm sure you'll talk about, you know, modifications and you know working it and blah 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 but a lot of people like this because it there's maybe a little bit of like a safety blanket around this idea that that first trigger squeeze is going to be takes a little bit of weight a little bit of a little bit of you know higher pounds uh, of pressure on the trigger uh, I, I don't have to be maybe as concerned about uh you know it, it it not going not going well for me about the safety you know concern that i that i might otherwise have with the single action only or with a you know striker fire which we'll talk about soon so that first trigger squeeze is a little bit heavier, but you know once I've engaged the gun, right? Once I've you know broken that first shot, man, now I'm left with like that beautiful, crisp, wonderful, you know, experience of shooting that that is just so hard to parallel um, with the other styles of guns, other than of course the single action only, right? Those that's those follow up shots are just so crisp and light and wonderful that it just it almost makes it worth it to go through that little bit of pain on that first trigger press um most uh, dasa guns maybe all of them for all i know but but I, I, certainly I, I think i'm safe in saying most have a decocker uh, because obviously when you load the gun you're inserting a magazine full of ammo and you have to cycle the slide to load around into the chamber but now your hammer is to the rear and that's problematic so a decocker is used to release that hammer forward in a manner that's safe so that that gun can then be carried uh, in that fashion safely mm-hmm. Yeah. So before I provide any further uh, commentary on DASAs, I do want to kind of take this as an opportunity to uh, highlight a couple of reasons why someone might want to carry something that has a double action trigger. And there's a conversation in our Facebook comments going on right now uh, where someone's saying, well, I like this. I like DASA. And someone else is saying, well, why? 
Um, everyone has uh, some strong, you know, everyone has strong opinions about what they like and what they don't like. Um, it, you know, I mean, some people are like, well, just get a Glock. It's just so simple. Well, yeah, it, it is. And that is, there's a lot of, there's a lot of validity to the idea of just carrying a gun that operates very simply and doesn't have a lot of things to be concerned with. Um, but, uh, let me, let me kind of provide some additional points to consider. Uh, probably one of the big reasons DAO guns, double action only guns or guns that were intended to be, I mean, for instance, take like an older Smith and Wesson revolver where they bobbed the hammer. It was a common practice and, and, and still is to this day for carry, you know, especially deep carrying, uh, deep concealment, um, uh, revolvers would be, you, you know, uh, obviously there's revolvers that are made that have internal hammers or, or the hammers designed in such a way as to be a double action only revolver, but it was a common practice, uh, by, by guys to actually bob the hammer or cut the hammer, the, the spur of the hammer off so that that revolver became a double action only. Now, why am I going back to DAOs and talking about this? And, and why is this relevant to, D, to the discussion on DASA? Well, one of the reasons why carrying something like a, a double action only revolver, which was really kind of the only option in the, you know, say 70, 80 years ago, was because you might be carrying that gun in non-traditional ways. In other words, like just throwing the gun in a pocket, for instance, and not using a holster. Now, in today's age, there's really little reason to not just always use a, a decent quality holster with how you carry a gun. At the very least, there's good quality pocket holsters, and and there's you know there's there's you know we even have products like the Enigma from Filster that allows for some creative deep carry, deep concealment options that just weren't really possible or or didn't really exist 50, 60, 70 years ago. But the point is, a DAO really had some application for a lot of concealed carriers. You know, guys working deep undercover, working drug operations, uh, uh, or if you just lived in a really dangerous neighborhood or place and and just didn't want to be made. So you're carrying a gun in a non-traditional way, in a manner that allows you to absolutely maintain concealment and discretion. And so you might be inclined to carry a gun that has a heavy, long double action trigger because it's a little bit safer. It's a little bit of a safety factor and that you're less likely to have that trigger get inadvertently pressed while you're carrying it and causing a problem. So I just want to kind of go back and use this as an opportunity to talk about the merits of a double action trigger. Um, so there's some safety involved as it relates to carrying of the gun. Uh, DASA guns are making a little bit of a comeback, I'd say, right now, because you have more and more people, I think, trying appendix carry, and there's just a little bit of a, of a reassurance and a bit more of a safety factor carrying appendix, having a DASA gun, having a trigger that's heavier as you're trying to reholster in a position that's widely acknowledged as being sensitive, right, uh, and requiring care. Um, you know, some D a lot of DASA guns have the external hammer on the back and placing your thumb over top of that hammer as you're reholstering the gun. 
not a bad practice uh, because you can feel that hammer and and you know that if something were to get in the way of the holster, get in, inside of the trigger guard, or if you just simply made the mistake for whatever reason, left your finger on the trigger as you're reholstering, that, that hammer starts to move, you're going to feel it and your thumb's going to keep pressure against it and keep that gun from discharging. So, so there's valid reasons why a DASA gun or a double action gun of any type uh, has has some some merit, and and some people find that to be important. Uh, I have a double action, single action SP twenty twenty two off with gray guns still being worked on. They're putting their new fancy uh, trigger kit in that, making it really really awesome. And I there might be times I decide to carry that because one I I actually like that gun and I like shooting it. And in the appendix position, there's just that extra safety factor. Uh, going back to the holster and, and you know thumb thumb over the the over the hammer, so just some things to think about there, right? So there, there's there's reasons behind this. Now the other thing too is more on the is more of a tactical or well, it's a safety function or safety uh, factor as well on the use side of the gun, meaning that when we have a double action trigger, it it's a very deliberate act when we press the trigger. And so again, you know, I, I cautioned you a, a little bit ago about if you're carrying a single action gun, you really got to be on point in terms of your trigger finger safety and discipline to make sure you, you don't accidentally send a round off when you don't expect it in a stressful situation. Well, that's one of the reasons why some law enforcement agencies mandate that their officers carry certain guns. That's that's one reason why some agencies have selected guns like the 226 or the 229 was for that reason knowing that if our officers draw their guns that first shot before it can go off it has to be a very deliberate act and a decision attached to that more so than a lighter trigger um, in cases of like the NYPD even with their their Glocks you know guys are you know people are familiar with the the uh, the 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 New, the New York trigger or you know, uh, where Glock had to design a whole trigger modification to make that Glock trigger 12 pounds. Just insane. It, it's really not a pleasant trigger <laughs> in the case of a Glock. So so there's valid reasons. I, I, I don't necessarily ascribe to all of that myself, but I see why people view those things as being important or, or placing more importance upon factors like that. And so that's kind of the why you might choose or select a DAO or a DASA gun is for that extra safety factor in cases of holstering, but also on the use side of it so that we really know that we're really having to work our way through that trigger for that first shot. Yeah, a couple. I'll add two things. Then I, I, you should have one more to add. If not, I'll prompt you for it. But um, it, it, like we talked about with single action only, where you have to build a habit relative to disengaging and reengaging as safety. A DASA gun does require you to build a habit to decock it every time you're done shooting it. So there is a, an additional step that the, the user has to learn and adapt to. Right with this gun. When I get done firing, if they, assuming the gun's not empty and I'm showing clear, you know, I got to hit the decocker uh, before I reholster. So that's that's one thing. Another thing I was going to mention is that um, you know, there's a great value or benefit or convenience, at least, when it comes to doing dry fire. 
with a DASA or or DAO uh, gun. Um, because in, in dry fire, you know, I don't have to recycle the slide every single time. If I have a double action gun or a DASA gun, then I can dry fire that thing with repeated trigger presses without having to cycle the slide to reset the trigger every time. So that's kind of a little practical, you know, benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Those are, those are important things as well. Um, let's also just point out that there are a few examples of DASA pistols that, allow for both carry options, meaning that you would decock it traditionally like you would and put place it in double action mode upon putting it in the holster. But there are some examples that actually um, that the, the decocker also functions as a safety and allows us to flip it the other way and leave it in single action and flip the safety on. Um, so, so examples of that would be some pistols from HK. There's a, also a few examples from CZ as well that, that do some similar things. Um, the, so the, here's the idea with, with DASA pistols, right? Is you get some of the benefits, like I just got done talking about, uh, with regards to the double action first trigger press, but you get all the benefits of, for your follow-up shots of that light, short, ideal trigger press that many people like that is akin to those found on, on 1911s and 2011s and such. And, and that's that's not a bad thing. I'll tell you what. I mean, and Jacob, you know this. You you love shooting single-action shots on your SIG. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. It's money, you know. Like, it's a beautiful you, day. You can be accurate. You can run that thing fast, Right. So, so where people have the biggest struggle is on the double action part. And you know that as well from personal experience, as do I. I mean, I, that was something I struggled with uh, in, in years past. Uh, for a time, I carried a DASA gun uh, as my duty pistol. Uh, Mark here on Facebook comments that he does great with a single action. Yep, yep, just like we all do typically, but tend to shank the first double action trigger press. Uh, he says, I know it's there, but the length of the pole messes me up. So this is a training issue, right? One, it's something that just takes time and practice to get used to that. Um, but also there's some technique involved as well, Mark. Uh, in an ideal world, as you are drawing that pistol and as you are, once you get to about where your hands meet or join on the grip and then you start going out towards your target, it's a common practice to go ahead and start taking up slack on that double action first press so that by the time you reach your ex- your extended presentation, you should be pretty close to where you, all you got to do is finish off that trigger. Um, and, and that's, that's the first thing. If you're going to, and go watch some videos, uh, Ernest Langdon's done some, some great videos about this. Uh, about some techniques related to that first DA trigger press. He, he um, is that's the high priest of the DASA religion. Yes, 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 he is. Um, Spencer Keepers as well is, uh, is, is known for his love of the Berettas and, and such. Um, our own Brian Eastridge hosts the On-Duty, Off-Duty podcast, uh, loves uh, his Berettas and DASA guns as well. Um, but yeah, the point is, and this is one of the reasons why Mark, it's not a bad idea to consider having that, that double action part of the trigger, especially worked over and just made a little bit lighter and particularly smoother. Uh, and it'll really help you on that first trigger press. But the idea is again, that we're taking a lot of that slack up 
as we're finishing our draw and presentation, and then you just have a little bit more to, to do as you as you get to where you know you're you're finalizing your site picture, making sure everything's dialed in, and you send the shot. If you are drawing and getting out there, getting sights on target, and then applying pressure on the trigger, that's where you're going to tend to struggle more. At least that is that's true with me. Um, and that'll help you too in that transition between DA to SA, double action to single action. Um, because if you're doing it that way and you're getting a lot of that work done as you're finishing the draw, by the time you get on target and you send the shot, that last little bit's quite a bit easier to, to, to press typically. And then the gun cycles and you go right to single action. And there's they're just psychologically, at least for me, seems to be less of a disparity between because uh, cause I don't notice the double action press as much when I'm getting on it a little bit sooner. I know some people would say, that's, you know, what are you talking about, Riley? Like, we're touching the trigger before we're totally on target. Remember, context is important. That's the first thing I'll say. And secondly, if I know I have a threat or a target that I got to shoot, and I'm up here, high center chest, hands are joining, and the gun's oriented in, you know, towards that target. Technically, at least, and again, it's situationally dependent. But in a lot of, in most situations, I'm calling that as a, I'm on target now. I'm getting on this trigger. Okay. If you watch slow-mo video of me shooting even my, my striker fired guns, watch where my finger goes on the trigger when I'm, when I'm, when I'm going fast, right? When I'm trying, when I'm going for that, sub-second draw, first shot on target, watch my fingers getting on the trigger. It has to get in there a little bit earlier than what you might expect if you're going to succeed in firing an accurate, fast first shot. But it's context-dependent, all right? So just some th- some a little bit of advice and some things to consider there. Yep, and we could talk more about that concept of prepping the trigger and how that relates to the safety rules and if that's a concern for some, but that, that might be a good dedicated episode sometime. Sure. Yep. Yep. Um, so that kind of brings us to the fourth and probably arguably, at least in this day and age, the most widespread and most uh, commonly used trigger type, which is striker fired. Yeah. Uh, there was a time where people spent a lot of effort trying to fit things like Glocks and, and SIG or Glocks and MMPs and stuff into a box of, is, is it single action? Is it double action? And the reality is a lot of those striker fired mechanisms are unique and, and they, they, you know, some of them work very differently from others. You know, whether the striker is, uh, you know, slightly pre-tensioned or all the way pre-tensioned, meaning it's all the way back and the trigger is just releasing a striker or in the case of a Glock where the, the striker is like half cocked and you're pressing the trigger and it's cocking it the rest of the way. You know what I mean? Like the point is, is we've, we've gotten to a place where we just say, you know what, if it's striker fired, it just means it's absent a hammer and we just lump all those together. And, and the, really the key is to a striker fired trigger in terms of definition is it's a hammerless trigger system that typically has the same trigger press for every shot, from first shot to last shot. That's kind of the unique characteristics and how I would define a, a, a striker-fired pistol. Yeah, I think that's a good summary. And I think that for a lot of people, that's the there's a lot of uh, 
simplicity value, this idea that I don't have to think about, you know, the first trigger press. I don't think about the decock or I don't have to think about something. It's going to be different on the follow-up shots. I don't think about uh, safety, you know, perhaps, you know, disengaging, engaging. Um, and, and I'm going to have a relatively good trigger all the time. You know, it's it's sort of like that middle place between the double action trigger and the single action trigger where, you know, your double action trigger might have been eight to 15 pounds of pressure and your single action trigger yeah, you know, I don't know, like a pound or something awesome. But that but your your traditional striker fire trigger is like that kind of midline average somewhere in the middle where it's not the the super light single action trigger, but it's not that heavy double action trigger and it's the same every time. And so there's this I think those are the two like major appealing factors. One, this idea of simplicity, like just press the trigger like you know yes get around in the chamber and then press the trigger um and then this other idea of just it's a it's a pretty good trigger every time um and it's the same trigger every time so like riley what's the glock out of the out of the factory what's the weight advertised are supposed to be 5.5 pounds except in the case of the glock 34 and 35 which is their competition models that are advertised as 4.5 pounds so there you go. So so that you know that that's kind of to to the point, right? Like we're not talking about a two pound trigger, we're not talking about a one pound trigger. We're also not talking about a twelve pound trigger. It's kind of that you know in the middle somewhere where I feel like it's pretty good every time, and it's the same every time, and it's it's this it's the essence of simplicity. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, uh, I would say that the it seems to be kind of the industry average or trend that if you're making a striker fired pistol your trigger weight is usually between five and seven pounds from the factory. That's, that's pretty common, pretty typical. Uh, the other common thing is a lot of striker fired guns will have a trigger safety tab or, or, or safety shoe, or, you know, that little mini trigger that's inside the trigger that you have to press, excuse me, that you have to press first before you can press the actual trigger, the, uh, part of the trigger. Um, there's a few, you know, ex- exceptions to that as far as like the 320 series being the most commonly known one that doesn't have that trigger safety, uh, uh, you know, tab or shoe or whatever. But, um, um, but the the thing with striker fired triggers, you typically have an initial slack and take up of the trigger till you get to some sort of a wall. And usually that wall is where the trigger bar actually starts pulling, usually downward, the the actual sear of the trigger mechanism in the back where where it hooks up with the uh, with the uh, striker. And so so that's that's kind of the unique thing with striker fires is you'll have trigger safety slack wall, and then you start pressing through the wall, and it starts pulling that sear, and then. Eventually, you break through that, and the sear releases the the striker, and it goes forward and fires the gun. It's unique because you do have this multi stage trigger. You know, in the case of a 1911, it it a lot of times they do have an initial little bit of slack, but it's usually so slight, it's almost even almost not noticeable. Uh, you pretty much get to, and you can dial, you can tune 1911s a lot of times to have to have no take up and just basically be a you know a solid trigger. Um, or, or straight to the wall, you know what I mean? So, and then you have DA, DAO guns or double action pistols that are sort of like this long rolling press through it. And there's not a real defined wall or break point. So striker fires really are kind of that in betweener and they are very manageable triggers and they can be made to be quite good, 
but they do fit very well in between that uh, that single action and that deep, double action, uh, uh, you know, side of the spectrum, if you will, like like you were just talking about, Jacob. Um, here's what I would say. I mean, okay, so so where we're at right now in the industry and with what people tend to, to choose for guns is the striker-fired gun is where it's at. Um, yeah, by far, right? It, it, that, that is very apparent. And I think for a lot of reasons, like you mentioned, it, it, you know, there's, there's valid reasons as to why that, that is. Um, for one thing, they, they are guns that are typically pretty inexpensive to manufacture. When we get into like 1911s and, and double action guns, there's, there's just a little bit more going on there and, and a little more fine tuning that has to happen to make those triggers work well and to work right and be safe. Striker fired trigger mechanisms typically are pretty simple um, and they don't require necessarily a lot of tuning. Um, because of the way they're designed. Um, so that's why we see striker-fired guns being as inexpensive as they are when we compare them to their DASA and and single-action counterparts. Um, but also, like you mentioned, it, this, having the same trigger press from shot to shot to shot, even though it might not be as nice as a single-action-only trigger, well, at least it's predictable and you can get you know, used to it and you can get to where you learn how to use it very effectively. And it's manageable. I mean, it's not, it's not crazy heavy. Right. Yeah, that's right. I I think it's appropriate for when we're talking about kind of the defensive gun, if you will, um, for the average person, the average shooter, having something between four and seven pounds is not a bad idea because it's, it's kind of in that middle ground of it, it still has to be a, pretty deliberate, you know, act to press through the trigger. Um, but it's not so heavy that it's difficult to use typically either. Yeah. I think it definitely, you know, that four or five pound mark is, is probably a, a minimum necessary thing for at least a first trigger, a, a first trigger press. Right. Um, and so in the case of the DASA, if you want to have lighter subsequent shots, I, I don't, I don't see any issue with that, but yeah, I, I think that's, that's probably a good ballpark, you know, guiding idea. I think when you're writing policy for like a large police agency, uh, I can understand um, why some agencies, you know, end up where they do and and, and some of these considerations they make. Um, I think, again, for the general public, uh, when you're talking about people that on average are not particularly well-trained or well-practiced, uh, it's not a bad idea to have a little more effort required to press a trigger. Uh, especially when you have people that, when I say untrained, not only in the act of shooting a gun, but just aren't very well adjusted or well trained in, in the idea of stressful, deadly force defense. Right. So, um, so at the end of the day, I, I think, I hope our discussion today has given you all some, some things to consider. And, and, you know, many of you priority are, are, are set on, on, on where you're at and happy with where you're at. But maybe some things we've talked about today give you cause to, I don't know, think through and, and understand maybe some of the whys behind why you choose a particular gun or a particular trigger type or action type, you know, as far as the gun that you're carrying for personal defense. As it relates, though, this would be kind of the last thing I'd end on, Jacob, and then I'll throw it back to you for final words. There, these are all different triggers. Um I, I think there's some merit to learning to press the trigger. Okay, so you got your trigger finger. Learning how to move that trigger finger in a manner 
that makes the adjustment from trigger to trigger to gun to gun as little an issue as possible. By that, I mean, uh, I, I read a, not really an article, but he wrote it up on his uh, Facebook uh, page, and that is Patrick Kelly, who is a, a well-known, long-time competitive shooter, and he was on the podcast with us uh, at SHOT Show a, couple, a year or two ago, um, and Patrick wrote this really great post uh, talking about how, you know, he, he's done this thing on his YouTube channel for years where, I can't remember exactly what he calls it, but the the concept is he gets a gun, you know, whether it's a gun he gets in for review, like a T&E model from a, from a manufacturer, or sometimes he'd just go to the gun shop and, and, you know, buy up a random gun, just different things that he wanted to try or was curious about. And he'd do these little reviews and his review concept was get gun, go to range to an actual match, like a IDPA or USPSA or steel challenge match. And he'd take the gun right out of the case, however it came in the box, couple of mags, load it up, and go shoot a match. And what was interesting is he's doing this with guns of all different types and all different actions and triggers and so forth. And so his takeaways on this was pretty interesting. And basically what he was saying is, learn how to move this, this your trigger finger, out and all the way back through as smoothly as you can. And, and essentially suggesting whether you're shooting a DAO gun where you have to go all the way out and take all that slack back up and press through the trigger, or if you're shooting a shorter single action trigger, hey, fire the shot, get off that trigger, get back on the trigger, fire another shot, and do that, learn how to do that trigger motion as smoothly as you can. And it, it and the, the proof is in the pudding as far as when you look at his performance from match to match to match, from gun to gun to gun, all these different guns with different triggers, you know, there's people tend to say, hey, I don't like that gun because it would be hard for me to shoot it because of the trigger that it has. It's very different from this other thing that I'm used to. Patrick's argument is learn how to do this, meaning press and release all the way and come back on it and press again and do that smoothly. And it really doesn't matter what the trigger, what, what trigger the gun has. Just put sights on target, press trigger, and that's where the round's going to go. I th- I find that pretty interesting, um, and 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 I think there's a lot of truth to that. If you look at how I run my trigger these days, very different from a few years ago, where I was very much in the mode of press trigger, fire shot, only release to where the reset point is, fire again. Now these days, I fire, my finger comes probably within a quarter inch of touching the front of the trigger guard, and then comes back on the trigger again. And some of that is because of speed, because that's just, you want to get off the trigger fast and get back on it again. And and to do that, it just, it's really irrelevant how far your finger comes off the trigger. Um, And some of that is, is it just, it works with so many different guns. So anyway, some, some interesting things to consider and, and maybe play around with that guys with your different guns and your different triggers. Yeah, I think that you got to figure out where you're at in the journey and you got to say, you know, if, if I own, if I own one gun, you know, and I'm new at this and I better go figure out what my trigger feels like and, you know, work, work that gun a lot and get some practice. But if you've not owned some of these other guns we're talking about, if you've never fired a 1911, if you've never fired a DASA gun, I think there's value to putting those in your hand and giving them a shot and getting an understanding of potential you know, pitfalls and or you know, pros or cons of each of these different types of trigger systems. Yeah. Yep. Well, there you have it. 
it's time to wrap it up. I, I think we're actually tied over time, but uh, thank you for doing this episode with me today, Jacob. De nada. So, guys, one last shout-out. Uh, make sure you go check out readyupgear.com. Uh, look for the rain, or for the Ranger, Roger 22, uh, ear protection, over-the-ear uh, earmuffs. Uh, got those back in stock. We got a bunch of them, okay, and they look great. They're, they're you know, we're getting awesome feedback and reviews from folks on these Roger 22s. Uh, so we're, we're proud to have that uh, uh, have that brand, uh, Ready Up Gear, and be a part of the uh, ConcealedCarry.com family. And also the uh, new Soft Seal uh, gel ear pads from Ready Up Gear as well. Uh, pick up a set for your favorite pair of ear protection and stop hating the pinching and the, the discomfort of your ear pro at the range. So with that... Uh, We're going to let you all go. Have a great rest of your week. We'll be back here next week. And so a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Mm -hmm.